This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, this is The Breakfast Grill. I'm Keith Kam. There is much to be said about Australia's relationship with ASEAN and indeed with Malaysia. Canberra was this regional grouping's first dialogue partner in 1974, which means this year is its 50th anniversary. In fact, next week, there will be a special summit in Melbourne to celebrate that and how both ASEAN and Australia have been working together to address the complex challenges facing the region and to ensure peace, stability and prosperity. So with us this morning, we have Australia's High Commissioner to Malaysia, Daniel Heineke. Welcome to BFM, Your Excellency, and to Malaysia. Daniel, I think your tour of duty here started officially in December, I believe. That's right, Keith. Thank you very much for having me, and good morning, Malaysia. Your appointment as Australia's uh, top envoy here came with a message from the Foreign Minister Penny Wong, who's got herself uh, Malaysian roots. Uh, she highlighted the deep economic defence and security ties between both our countries, how are you laying out your job uh, ahead, your priorities? As the Foreign Minister said, Australia has such a strong relationship in all of those areas. I'd also add to that education and people-to-people. Uh, it's really strong relationship in terms of the number of Malaysians that live in Australia, travel to Australia, but also vice versa. We had 172,000 tourists last year that came to Malaysia and our relationships are deep here. My job really, I see my first priority as being about improving the economic and trade investment relationship with Malaysia. And one of the features of the summit coming up next week will really be about ensuring our companies Mm -hmm. connect, our SMEs, our large corporations, so we can really improve our trade and investment relationship. There's a lot of really good stuff going on at the moment around education, agriculture, but what we really want to focus it on is the new technologies, climate, AI, future technologies, and we will have a, a lot of Australian companies moving into that sector, particularly in the data centre space. I think this is also your first time heading an Australian overseas mission, but you have served in uh, Timor-Leste, Indonesia and Papua New Guinea, so no stranger to this region. What are you most nervous about this current role and what are you looking forward to most? I'm really excited to continue to be in the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, I love this part of the world. I love the nature, the people. I think I think the biggest challenge is is really just making sure that we continue to build on our strengths. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't. We have, as I said before, we have a great relationship around a lot of our traditional industries, people to people. But this is about the future. Yeah. So I see my challenge as being about leading that work with private sector. We both have market-based economies to try and really make sure that we make the most of where we see our futures together, in it, particularly in climate and renewables uh, and, and in investment. So I think, I think that's really where I see my key value add. Next week, the 2024 ASEAN Australia Special Summit that's happening in Melbourne. It is significant because it is the golden anniversary of ASEAN Australia corporate cooperation. What can we expect There's really three parts to it. I think the first part of it is really just celebrating the fact that this is a 50-year partnership. Mm. We're not coming to this new. We really value the relationship with ASEAN. We want to take a bit of stock about what we've achieved to date. Secondly, uh, we want this to be practical. So we understand there's four key areas that we've really shaped this conference around. The first one is is around business track, so ensuring the CEOs of companies in ASEAN as well as SMEs have a chance to really expand their cooperation. Secondly, around climate change and energy transition. Thirdly, around maritime. And fourth, around emerging leaders. 
these are the four areas that really matter to Australia and matter to ASEAN, and that's why we've shaped it around those practical areas. And then lastly, given uh, particularly for Malaysia in terms of chairing ASEAN next year, we really want this to be a conversation about the future, what what we want to achieve out of the next 50 years between Australia and ASEAN. Okay, so um, what we know is Australia's bilateral trade with Southeast Asia was worth something like about a hundred, nearly 180 billion Aussie dollars in 2022. And... Um, Interestingly enough, that number is larger than uh, your trade with the United States. Uh, I was just wondering how you see your role as High Commissioner here uh, to grow those numbers further. It is probably my top priority in, yeah. in really working with Australian companies and Malaysian companies and Malaysian government. And there's there's some great relationships already with, with government agencies that have this role. What What is changing is that Australia will be putting much more effort into enabling more investment into Malaysia. So we have around about 10 10 billion of investment stock here at the moment, but we think that can grow significantly over over the next few years, particularly in the new sectors. So all the work that we're doing together to enable more uh, data centres to come in, uh, we think that that stock will really increase, but also importantly, help Malaysia achieve its vision around becoming uh, a high-tech economy all of this work will be important uh, to enabling the work that has to happen also in areas like climate change, green energy. So I think for us, it's really making sure that there are no barriers between companies. And that's got a a number of areas. It's about raising awareness. It's about removing blockages, whether Mm. that be around regulation, legislation. It's about improving capability and knowledge of Malaysia. And it is now number two in ASEAN at the moment. Mm -hmm. We think there's a lot more potential to grow that. And finally, it's then about making those investments real. I know you've only been here probably two, maybe three months at the most. Uh, what have you put in place to ensure all these things happen? What's your engagement been like with the uh, local government here? So our engagement in this area has primarily been with, with business, yeah. uh, but, but obviously with some of the, the key the key agencies like MDEC and the Digital Economy Agency, uh, really what we're trying to do is is establish knowledge of the strategy and then following the summit, there'll be announceables at the summit. We really want to put those announceables in place. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what will be most important will be getting business delegations up to Malaysia and vice versa, so we can then put that into action. I spoke with Nicholas Moore, uh, that's Australia's Special Envoy for Southeast Asia, just about a week after you arrived in Malaysia. Mm. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, he is the author of Australia's Southeast mm. Asia Economic Strategy to 2040. Can I know what the progress has been since it was uh, put, put in place, the foundations that have been laid thus far? There were a few announcements last year around improving, I guess, what happens in Australian companies, so an internship program between Australian companies and Malaysian companies and other Southeast Asian countries. Uh, we've also announced uh, some additional resources to support the investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still in the process of being moved into place, but there will be announcements coming up into from this ASEAN summit in Melbourne, which will put more of those enabling blocks in place. I don't want to foreshadow what they are, but they really will be about supporting the implementation of that strategy. Because what was interesting as well, um, I did read this report by PwC that said Australian businesses uh, were missing out on the growth of mm. Southeast Asia and the wider Asia due to a culture of them being unwilling to deal with change or to operate in an Asian environment. Uh, you've been in this region for some time now. Uh, what do you do you agree with this and what do you see as a way to, I suppose, break the stereotype that, that uh, mm. Aussie businesses seem to have? I agree that 
there are a lot of Australian businesses that have that have not, uh, I guess, got the right risk-reward re- risk formula in how they're making decisions. And part of the strategy that the, Austra- the Australian government now has is to really weigh- raise the awareness of mm. the opportunities of ASEAN. Uh, 700 million people in ASEAN at the moment and yeah. obviously huge growth potential. So a big part of the strategy is about changing how Australian businesses think about the opportunities in Asia. That that is that is important, but it is not the only thing. Uh, there are there are obviously going to be some issues and some sectors. Uh, there are many Australian companies that are doing really well at the moment in Malaysia. They've moved their global services centre here. Cockley is an example of that, mm. uh, and and I think a lot of it is about sharing the experiences of companies that work here and have a really good experience. And that's really part of the education and awareness campaign. I'm kind of worried for you guys. <laughs> the, the, the plan here is to actually grow two-way trade with the region to $534 billion Aussie dollars by 2040. That is more than three times over that period and over eight years. Uh, and, and, and your government has uh, allocated $60 billion to, to, to this. How do you see this working? I mean, you must have to really, really work hard first uh, to to uh, set the foundation in Malaysia. And when Malaysia takes over the ASEAN Championship mm. uh, next year, uh, how do you envi- envision your work to be like? I think it, for us, it's really about identifying where the key sectors are, where there's opportunity. And some of that will be uh, companies that are already working here. Yeah. Others will be the suppliers of those companies. So, as I said, this is like a really I'm seeing this as a snowball. We've got a number of companies that are operating here at the moment, and we've got to make sure we grow that ball by sharing the experiences, particularly around their suppliers, but also the new sectors. I think that's where there's quite a lot of opportunity. There are four Australian companies in the data centre area that are looking at setting up here. Uh, the launch that the Prime Minister did last week of the new financial mm. international financial centre at TRX, we already have Australian companies like Lynn Lease that have been exactly, part yeah. of that development. So this is about uh, educating Australian business of the opportunity and using those that are here already to mentor those about the opportunities here. So really I, I'm seeing a lot of the opportunities in the companies that have supply chain uh, dependence on Malaysia or, or looking at Malaysia as a destination as they right. start to, to diversify their supply chains. Green energy will be really important. Um, there's already, as you're probably aware, some investment from Gentari in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see that there's a lot of opportunities for Australian companies as Malaysia starts to get its regulation, pricing and incentives right around the renewable sector. But getting those incentives right are quite important to investment. So I think there is some enabling work we can and we are already doing with Malaysia to create those opportunities. And a good example of that is we're working with PTP Port around green bunkering. We're both maritime nations. There's lots of opportunity to lead the way and do a lot of work with private sector. On the Breakfast Grill this morning is Australia's new High Commissioner to Malaysia, Daniel Heineke. On the other side of the break, we will dive into what Australia might be doing to deepen ties further in Malaysia. BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill. Brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Breakfast Grill. This morning, I'm joined by Daniel Heineke, Australia's High Commissioner to Malaysia. Now, Daniel, how does the Australian business community view Malaysia as a business destination? And I suppose, what are the major issues that, that concern them? Um, I suppose, 
I kind of want to know what's stopping them from um, coming into Malaysia in the first place. And if they are here, what's stopping them, preventing them from expanding their business over here? Well, thanks, Keith. I might, I might just start off with what I understand. And I, I have got a private sector background. I used to work for PwC as right. my first part of my career. So I think, as I said before, the key part is really awareness of the opportunities in Australian businesses and how they think about trajectory of profit and how they then communicate that to their shareholders around how they're taking those risks. So that's why we're really in, a, in an awareness stage using the companies that are already here to raise the awareness of the opportunities in Malaysia. On, on the, the, the group that are already here have a very good experience operating in Malaysia. And what we tend to find is those that start to operate here, and I'll use Cochlear as an example, mm-hmm. they, they started up some manufacturing here, but now they've moved their services here. So they, they are increasingly moving more of their, manu- their high-end manufacturing to Malaysia because of the high education, language, training, and also just the infrastructure that Malaysia enables. So I think what we're seeing is more that are coming here actually find it as a good place to operate. How do we get more? Mm. And I think that, that is really going to be about the new sectors, and, and we think that's where what Malaysia's vision is around Madani and its high-growth sector aligns well with where Australian companies do have an opportunity to invest and partner here. Because I kind of got a sense from uh, a conversation we had with uh, your predecessor, uh, Dr. Justin Lee, with regards to, well, we did speak to him in 2021 and a lot has changed since then. Uh, he, he highlighted the stability of the government, the ease of doing business as, as being some of the roadblocks uh, to, to doing business in this country. Uh, do you get a sense that those things might have improved, especially in terms of ease of doing business? Yeah, look, I I think, I think there are issues in all countries. I mean, of course, any red tape that can be removed, uh, any process issues that can be streamlined. I think the thing that I'm hearing probably most from business here, it's the implementation of policies. And when there are shifts in policy, mm-hmm. you know, around customs or around taxes or around duties at the border, they don't want to be surprised by that. They want to be consulted ahead and they don't want to then have to sort of deal with a lot of the administrative issues around that. So I think there are some of those issues that come up that mean that companies have got to got to engage in, in things that probably they don't need to in, in other markets. But I think overall, um, Malaysia is a, is a good environment. That's why it's number two in ASEAN behind Singapore. Uh, one of the focus points in uh, that more report I was talking about just before the break uh, has also been uh, on easing people-to-people movement. Uh, I have issues with that personally. I mean, I, I, I was just wondering how that could be improved, do you think? Because visas are an issue for sure. Um, and, and since the pandemic, I found that the process has become a lot more complicated and a lot more time-consuming. It used to be a case where I could just buy an air ticket, apply for a visa, and I'd get it within hours. And now I've got to apply for it and wait, I suppose, seven, eight days with tons of uh, documents that I have to submit as proof that I would come back here. This also comes at a time when countries like India, China, they are doing away with visas, albeit temporarily. What's Australia's view on this? Is is something being done to improve people-to-people movement? Thanks for raising this issue, Keith. Uh, so there are com- there is a few lines of effort because this is not obviously the first time this issue has been raised. Mm-hmm. There was a change in the way that the ETA, the visa That's for someone, yeah. Malaysia, was being uh, managed. And the, the reason for that was because there were a, Malaysia actually had the highest number of overstayers that were coming on tourist visas. So, And, and that had been the case for a long time. Uh, so 
we needed to change that setting uh, to enable, I guess, those that were genuinely travelling for tourists, which is the vast majority of people were coming for visiting family, tourism, business. We needed to make sure that uh, it was being used. But take on board your feedback and others, and we are continually looking at how we can improve the process, both in terms of processing times, but also over time how how we can adjust the risk settings to make sure that we are actually uh, adding to what we're trying to achieve in our relationship, which is business people-to-people link. So uh, it, it is an area that we do need to keep improving together. Uh, but there was a reason why it was implemented, and that was really the highest number of overstayers in Australia were Malaysians and, and often working. I mean, I think then that wasn't the purpose of the visa. No, but that's really a, a responsibility of the Home Ministry in, in Australia, right? I mean, uh, what's the engagement like with yourself and the Home Ministry in terms of maybe uh, improving um, access to Australia? So, yeah, it, as, as you said, it, it is a really important conversation yeah. uh, that we're having at the moment about how do we improve that and how do we get the risk settings right. So what we obviously want to do is maximise how many people can come to Australia for travel, for visiting relatives, for, for tourism, but at the same time ensure that we're not, uh, I guess, enabling that. And, and Australia's just put in place um, much better a bigger focus uh, on the integrity of people working in Australia and that very much, as you said, is the responsibility of the Australian government in Australia and they've recognised this, the the, the Labor government has recognised that they've got to do more in that Mm. space and and that's now been taken on board following a review being done by a former Commissioner Nixon that's now come out around integrity. So there there is work to be done and, and it is an active conversation. Um, still on the people-to-people uh, connections, I mean, flights between Malaysia and Australia, I'm talking direct flights, because the last time that an Australian flag carrier landed, landed in Malaysia was uh, ANSAT in 2001, and that, that's ancient history. What needs to change to enable that to happen again and facilitating people-to-people movement? Our airlines are all, they're not national airlines, they're, they're all corporatised, so they'll make their own decision based on profit return. There's 234 <laughs> weekly flights yeah. between Australia and Malaysia. Uh, and as you said, they are regional airlines that are that are servicing Australia. At the end of the day, the airlines will make their own commercial decision about which markets they fly to. But of course, we would, we would like our national airlines to be looking at Malaysia, given, as I said before, there's 150,000 tourists a year from Australia that do yeah. come to Malaysia. Um, if we turn our attention wider afield, and uh, I kind of want to, want to address Australia-China relations, which have been, I suppose, uh, we can colloquially call it uh, frenemies. What is the situation like now? And, and I'm asking because of the stronger focus on Southeast Asia that Canberra seems to be embarking on currently. Is that a way to reduce dependence on China, you know, Southeast Asia to take over what China has been doing with Australia? I think you're aware that Australia... Um under the current government uh, has, has has made a huge effort to, to stabilise relationships yeah. with China and our Prime Minister visited the first visit for, for many, many years to China in November. And and what that visit did was, was agree that, you know, we're always going to have areas, all nation states have interests where we disagree, but, but there's many areas that we can agree. Like Malaysia, China is our largest trade partner um, and our relationship is important across the spectrum. So... But, but but how much does China feature into the, the conversations? Because, I mean, um, everyone depends on China's economy to do well, and it really isn't at the moment. We have been talking to Australian companies about 
resilience, mm-hmm. uh, supply resilience, and and of course a lot of Australian companies work with China. It, 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 it's a major destination for our trade and investment, and vice versa from China to Australia. But of course, uh, there there are lots of opportunities for diversification of that trade, and actually. What I'm seeing here in Malaysia is that Malaysia is, a, is actually benefiting from some of that diversification in terms of where not just Australian companies, but where other companies are now setting up their, their manufacturing and mm. some different bits of their supply chain. So I think um, it, it doesn't really matter what country we're talking about. Everybody now, I think, as a result of COVID, um, mm. is actually looking at uh, diversification of supply. People need it in all different markets for a whole range of reasons, including natural disasters, which does have an impact on on where people's supply chains are. Absolutely. Um, And Daniel, while I have you here, you're a diplomat, and I do kind of want to understand diplomacy a little bit because uh, uh, Australia stand on the Israel-Gaza situation because on the one hand, Australia voted in December in the UN for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. And this is after abstaining in an earlier vote, I think in October. Um, and then on the other hand, Canberra is withholding funding to the UN's relief and works agency based on Israel's allegations that some of their staff had been involved in the October 7th Hamas attacks. Um, help me understand this, this, I suppose, contradiction is a safe word to use. So I might just start off with... Uh what our Prime Minister and Foreign Minister have articulated Australia's position is and and what we want. So firstly, um, actually Malaysia and Australia have a lot of common common requests in in, in this and common diplomacy. We're both seeking urgent humanitarian pauses. Uh, Australia's contributed actually around 46 million in humanitarian assistance since October uh, to the region to support uh, to support Palestinians uh, that have either that are either in Palestine or in neighbouring areas, uh, we're seeking an urgent political settlement to the conflict, mm-hmm. and we're being very clear about a two-state solution based on internationally recognised borders. Uh, you may be aware, back in August, before October, of course, uh, the current government changed its uh, stance and and relabeled uh, the settlement areas as occupied. Yeah. Uh, so that was a really important part um, of our diplomacy and recognition of some of the challenges that have have impacted humanitarian people and their right to to live a life that provides them with basic food, shelter and, and land. I, I suppose that's pretty much in line with this uh, Oxfam Australia survey that I saw. Um, 80% of Australians are in favour of a ceasefire in Gaza. 53% support the Australian government taking more action to achieve that goal. Um, this is the ultimate stand uh, of Canberra on this issue. You may be aware of a joint statement that our Prime Minister made on the 15th of February with Canada and New Zealand, and that was... That was really about uh, raising concerns that Israel was planning a ground offensive in Rafah um, and that would be catastrophic for the Palestinian people and that was something that uh, really is in response to the current situation but also the, the asks of the Australian people in terms of our democratic voice. Your Excellency, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you very much, Keith. On The Breakfast Grill this morning, I was speaking to Daniel Heineke, Australia's High Commissioner to Malaysia. I'm Keith Kam for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, 
Download the BFM app.